Before we get into our last uh, sermon and our series on baptism, I want to start with some stories that have appeared in the Christian Chronicle newspaper over the last few months. Igor Kozlovsky, 62-year-old preacher, theology professor, brother in Christ in the Ukraine. About two years ago, militia placed a cloth bag over his head, shoved him into a jeep, locked him in a basement cell with only a mattress on the floor. His wife and his wheelchair-bound son with Down syndrome are still trying to get him released from prison. A preacher training school in southern India associated with Churches of Christ reported the deaths of two students and a Christian convert in the past year after beatings and stabbings by militant Hindus. One person said in that article that leaving Hinduism in India involves more than risking physical harm, often college admission, scholarships, grants, jobs, and social services are all tied to the Hindu faith. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 9, the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Our context is very different than the first century context. All week I've struggled with how do I preach 1 Peter? How do I preach 1 Peter 3? Uh, 3.21 that we just read, a passage I've known my whole life, baptism now saves you. But what does that mean? What did it mean in the context of 1 Peter? And how do we take the book of 1 Peter and make it relevant and make sense to Christians living in the United States in, 20, in the 21st century? In a context where our questions revolve around, is this behavior right or wrong? Can I be forgiven of the bad thing that I did? Um, what, what time is services going to be? Uh, you know, is the preacher going to go long today or not? Uh, you know, all kinds of, those kinds of questions are the things we're thinking about. We might be thinking about our parents or our kids or going to college or, we've got all kinds of things on our mind. Very few of them, if any, are about suffering persecution for being a Christian. But that's the context that Peter writes this letter in, is suffering persecution for following Jesus. But I want us to realize that that's not just a first century problem. It is a 21st century problem. That problem is going on in the world today. And just because you and I don't have to deal with it on a daily basis doesn't mean that it's not happening and it doesn't mean that it's not our problem. That is our family in China, in Ukraine, in India, across Africa. That is our family that's suffering because they are following Jesus. We need to be united with them in spirit. We need to have them in our hearts. We need to have them in our prayers. And more, I might add, than just, aren't we glad we don't have to deal with that? Tell you, if my kids were outside today in the cold, and they couldn't be inside where it was warm, 
I wouldn't be thinking, I'm glad it's them out there and not me. I'd be thinking, I want them in here where it's warm. I want us all to be warm and safe and well. That's our family. And suffering for following Jesus has been a part of the package deal since the very beginning. And I'm not saying that some of us haven't had to experience some suffering for following Jesus. Maybe you have. I really haven't very much. The closest maybe that I've ever come to is as a teenager, the struggle that it was to do what was right and good, even though my friends mocked me for doing what was right and good. And many of our teenagers have to deal with that on a daily, weekly basis. I've known Christians. I knew a man one time that that told me that his wife said to him, if you're baptized, I will leave you. It happens. And what I want us to realize is that God's word offers an incredible amount of encouragement to those who are suffering, to our family who is suffering, maybe right here in this auditorium, but certainly across the world, God's word offers encouragement and it is our problem. And we need to think about it. And if we're going to understand what it means when Peter says, baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the, ple- from the flesh, but as an appeal or as a, a pledge or the swearing of allegiance to God for a clean conscience. What does that mean in the context of suffering? So let's look at First Peter. Let's look at chapter 1 first, because I think this sets the context. First Peter 1 and verse 3. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us, listen to this, because it's really going to help us to understand our later text. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's been rattling around in my head all morning. He's caused us to be born again. So something in the past that Jesus has done and that we've begun to experience and participate in a rebirth. We've been reborn, right? And so much in the New Testament has to do with becoming a new kind of human, right? Putting off the old anthropos, the old humanity, the old man, and putting on the new man, being born again, being reborn. So something in the past that has to do with a living hope. That's something in the future, isn't it? So much of what Peter has to say is about the future. And having these Christians that are undergoing this suffering say, look at the future and look not only at what is coming, but what we've begun to experience already. We've been reborn. We've been born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Jesus raising from the dead, when Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead, that resurrection marked the beginning of something. The beginning of a new creation. The beginning of people putting off the old way of being a human and putting on or being reborn into a new way of being human. And Peter says, from the resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been reborn to a living hope. We know that because of what happened in the past, both in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and in our being born again into that, that something's coming. 
That we have a living hope. In spite of the way it looks right now, in spite of the way it feels right now, church, can you even imagine? Because I don't know if I can. Can you imagine being in a prison cell for being a follower of Jesus? Not because of anything bad you've done, but because the powers that be don't like the fact that you follow Jesus and that you won't worship their gods, worship their political leaders, that you say Jesus is the anointed one of God, the king, not Caesar, not you, and not you, and not you, and I won't worship this or that. I worship God. I'm a follower of His Son, Jesus Christ. And they throw you into prison, or they take away your property. The book of Hebrews says that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Can you imagine? Maybe this piece of property has been in your family for generations, and now because you're a follower of Jesus, they say, well, you forfeited that. Or maybe, or maybe because you're a Christian, your own family says, I won't have anything to do with you because you follow Jesus. Can you imagine that? And Peter says, but listen, through the resurrection of Jesus, we've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Your inheritance, it's not going anywhere. It's protected. It's safe. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to go away. It's not going to be defiled. It is protected. It's being guarded for you. You who, verse 5, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, when we think about the word salvation or we think about being saved, we have a tendency to think just in terms of being forgiven of our sins, right? And certainly, when we're, when we repent of our sins and we're baptized, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, our sins are forgiven. And so much of what the apostle Paul writes is about justification, right? Being put right in God's sight, being in a right relationship with Him. But what Peter's talking about here with salvation is about something that is yet to come. And church, listen, if you were in a prison cell, or your family had abandoned you because you're a Christian, or you're homeless, or people just don't like you very much, or nobody's shopping at your business and using your goods and services because you're a Jesus follower, and I say, well, at least your sins are forgiven. Okay, well, that's great, good, but I'm looking forward to something, something real. I'm looking for the end of this suffering. I'm looking forward to the end of this persecution. I'm looking forward to what is to come. Look at verse 6. In this, in this hope, you rejoice through, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter's saying Jesus is coming and Jesus, his glory is going to be revealed. And I know, I know, I know it's hard right now. And I, I know you're suffering right now. 
And I know some people don't like you right now, and I know it's gotten tough, and if they only knew that from the time Peter wrote this until what was coming, it was going to get even harder. And for generation after generation after generation of Christians, there's been times in our history where it's been incredibly difficult. And Peter says, I know for a little while you're, you're going to have to suffer, but something is coming. Jesus is coming. His glory is going to be revealed. He is bringing you an inheritance that, that, that's protected. And, and all of what is coming is going to make what you're suffering right now look like nothing. That's good encouragement for suffering people, isn't it? Peter says, you, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, have been reborn into a living hope. And this is our hope. And in this we rejoice. Even in our sufferings, we can rejoice because of who is coming and what is coming. Look at, well, not look at, but let me read a few verses as we kind of build up to 1 Peter 3. In chapter 1 and verse 11, Peter talks about Christ's sufferings and then the subsequent glories. Chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, It's a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Chapter 2 and verse 20, When you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Chapter 2 and verse 23, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's Peter's encouragement in this letter. When you're reviled, don't revile in return. When you're slapped, don't slap them back. That's our human nature, isn't it? Somebody takes what belongs to us, we want to take what belongs to them. Somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them. And Peter says, no, in light of what's coming, endure. In light of what's coming, suffer with joy. Why? Because you're looking at Jesus, and you know what Jesus suffered and what Jesus went through, and you know what came after resurrection and glory. And Peter says, that's what you're going to experience, resurrection. And glory, the glory of Jesus is going to be revealed. So now, just for a while, suffer. Just just for a while, endure. Just for a while, when you're reviled, don't revile in return. When you suffer, don't threaten. Entrust yourself to Him who judges justly. And then in chapter 4 and verse 13, Peter says, Rejoice! insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Chapter 4 and verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Chapter 4 and verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Chapter 5 and verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's First Peter. First Peter is all about, I know you're suffering, but the answer isn't fight. The answer isn't yell and scream. The answer isn't be afraid and wring your hands in fear and terror. The answer is trust. The answer is be faithful. The answer is endure. 
The answer is do good. Do good. And church, listen, I know that we're not suffering these same types of injustices. But sometimes we're afraid we will, aren't we? We're afraid. We're afraid. And we say, well, man, if we're not careful, I mean, the next generation, I mean, they're just not going to, they're going to persecute us for being Christians. And oh no, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? That fear and the anger and the yelling and the fighting that comes with it, that's the very opposite of Peter's message in this book. The very opposite of it. I know it's hard. Endure. Rejoice. Because you know what's coming. You know the glory that will be revealed. Now, look at chapter 3 and verse 9. Right in the middle of all of this context that we've just gone over. First Peter 3 and verse 9. Do not Listen, I know, I know this is kind of hard. If you're, if you're with me and you're, you're listening to what Peter's saying, it's hard, isn't it? Say, Wes, what are you, what are you getting at? Just listen. And isn't this the consistent message throughout the New Testament? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, he says in verse 13, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good, right? I mean, that's still a good encouragement, isn't it? I mean, most of the time, Peter's saying, listen, if you don't escalate things, if you don't make things worse by fighting back when they are kind of mean to you, if if when people don't like you, if you bless them instead of cursing them, when they curse you, if you don't curse them back and you bless them instead... Chances are, things are going to be okay, right? Things are going to be, who's going to hurt you for being zealous for doing what's good, right? Most of the time, that's true. But then you might say, but, but Peter, hold on. Sometimes, sometimes you, you're meek and you're gentle and you're loving and you're kind, even though they're mean to you and you return good for evil. When they do evil to you, you do good to them. And sometimes it, it doesn't get any better. And sometimes they just hurt you. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Church, this is the good news. This is the good news. The good news is no one, no one, if you follow Jesus and you walk in the light as He is in the light, no one can stand against you. No one can really harm you. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Can you imagine, can you imagine the force of a people who are not afraid of death, who are not afraid of suffering, who are not afraid of persecution, 
who say, I will do good and I will bless and I will rejoice and I will be kind and I will be helpful and I will be loving and I will be patient no matter what people do to me. Can you imagine what an unusual group of people that would be? Can you imagine the good that people would do? Can you imagine how people would say, give me a reason for the hope that's within you? Isn't that what Peter says? Be prepared to give an answer. Because when you live this out, it's going to be unusual. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. He says, have no fear of them or be troubled. Church, that's a message that they need to hear in China and the Ukraine and in India and in Muslim-controlled countries. And that's a message you need to hear right now, 21st century America, December 31st, 2017. You need to hear that. Wes needs to hear that. Do not be afraid of them or troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. Isn't that God's message to his people throughout time? Don't be afraid. Before Jesus left his apostles, he didn't leave his apostles. Before he ascended into heaven, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Go to the whole world and make disciples. Do not be afraid of them or be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. This living hope that we've been reborn into of what's to come, it makes us a strange, bizarre, unusual group of people, doesn't it? People say, how can you be so sure? How can you be so confident? How can you not be afraid in in what is happening to you? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? He says, always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared to answer. But when you do, when you answer them, listen to what it says. Do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Look at verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, we can look at that and we can say, yes, Jesus suffered for me. Yes, Jesus saved me by his suffering. Absolutely. But Peter's encouragement, Peter's admonishment here is you be okay with the same deal, right? If they hated the master, they're going to hate the servants. They're going to hate the disciples. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you. If Jesus, who is truly righteous and did nothing wrong, suffered, what makes us think we're better than that? What makes us think that we should be let off the hook for that? That we shouldn't have to suffer? This isn't fair. Okay, it's not fair. Absolutely. It wasn't fair that Jesus suffered. And he is our example. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, verse 19, we're not going to get into it because, man, we could spend all day. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. But look at verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So, Peter brings out not only Christ's sufferings, but also says there was a period of time, and and they are familiar with the story of Noah. We're pretty familiar with the story of Noah, probably, right? And people were horrible. People did horrible things. Their thoughts and intentions of their heart were evil and wicked all of the time. And God's patience waited in the days of Noah. And Noah, in the context here, right, is righteous, but yet has to endure the evil people that are around him. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were, the ESV says, brought safely through the water or brought safely through water. I think it's probably more accurate to go back to the old King James, saved through water, because the verb here is actually saved through, saved through water. Now, When you're translating that, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. How were they saved through water? How were Noah and his family saved through water? But but if you were Noah and his family and you had endured the wickedness of your generation for year after year after year after year after year after year after year, you'd know what it was to be saved through water, wouldn't you? And when that water came, and took them from the old world to a new world and ended their persecution, ended their suffering. That's the context here, is that good people are suffering at the hands of wicked people. And God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built and eight people were saved through water. And then he goes on, verse 21, baptism, and that's how we know we're talking about water baptism, right? Because that's the context, water. Baptism corresponds to this or is an antitype to this. It now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal or a pledge or a swearing of allegiance to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see? I I missed it my whole life how this verse fit into the context of what Peter's talking about. Peter's saying baptism is saving you. It's saving you from this that's going on right now. The hurt and the pain, the suffering, the persecution. It's taking you from the old world into the new world through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that how he began the book? He said that we're being reborn, we're being reborn to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when the resurrection happened, and then you and I and all the Christians in between then and now were baptized into Jesus, we were reborn to a living hope saying, I've begun to participate in the new creation. The old things are passing away. The new things are here and are coming. And my living hope that the glory of Jesus will be revealed 
and that the suffering and the persecution will end forever and that those who are in Christ Jesus will be rewarded with an inheritance that is protected and undefiled and won't perish and won't go anywhere. And I live my life knowing that baptism is now saving me from the suffering that I'm enduring. Again, it's pretty hard for us to kind of understand that, but if you were in a prison cell or your family had left you or nobody was shopping at your business, And everybody in town mocked you for being a Jesus follower, for being a Christian. And oh, what good news it would be to hear the words, baptism. Like the waters that saved Noah, baptism now saves you. Not because it washes dirt off your flesh, but because it's you pledging yourself to God for a clean conscience It saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ because now we're being born again to a living hope and we know what's coming. We know who is protecting us. We know who walks beside us. And we read in verse 22, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, with authorities and powers having been subjected to him. We sang a minute ago, didn't we? The God of angel armies is always by my side. That is what you began to participate in when you were baptized. Were your sins washed away? Oh, absolutely. Repent of our sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Absolutely. We were put in a right relationship with God. But it goes so so far beyond that, doesn't it? It means you don't have to be afraid. It means no matter who's in the White House and no matter who's in the Congress and no matter who sits on the Supreme Court, it matters no, it, it doesn't matter what happens across the ocean, what happens in North Korea, what happens wherever. You don't have to be afraid. Walk with Jesus because He is saving us. And so that's what we say. That's what I want us to walk away with today is I am being rescued. I am being saved, and I have nothing to fear. The one who sits in heaven at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him, he is the one who walks with me, and loves me, and protects me, and has an inheritance that he's going to bring to me. I have nothing to fear. You see how we began this series talking about living out our baptism? Are we living this way? Being a baptized person is so much more than when I go to, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. It's that, but it's so much more than that. It means I could say I'm being rescued and I have nothing to fear. It means I could say I was dead, but now I'm alive. It means I could say I have become part of the story of the Bible. It means I could say I am a member of the spirit-empowered body of Christ. It means I can say I'm no longer a slave to sin. Church, as this year comes to an end and a new year begins... And we start thinking about changes that we need to make. Let's remember our baptism. Let's remember the pledge, the appeal, the swearing of allegiance that we made to God when we were baptized. And let's live out our baptism saying daily, 
I am being rescued and I have nothing to fear. But maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't made that appeal, that hasn't made that pledge, that hasn't been buried with Jesus, that hasn't been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you, as Ananias encouraged Saul, what are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. If we can help you to do that, we can pray with you, encourage you, anything we can do. Now's your chance. Come forward. As together we stand and sing.